Imagine if you could sit down at your desk in the morning, piping hot coffee in hand, you could pop open your laptop, double click on a document on your desktop that says life plan, so you could check on what's happening this week, this month, or even this year. Well, I wanna help you create that plan. Let's spend five days together making a roadmap for your future so that you can live all the rest of your days on purpose. Yes, you can own the future that's coming your way. The five-day Own Your Future Challenge is absolutely free to join, and I've got a spot with your name on it. Don't let another week, month, year, or even decade pass you by without owning the vision for who you want to become and the impact you want to make while you're alive. This is five free days of learning from incredible world leaders, helping you to uncover who you truly are and leading you to craft a roadmap and set goals aligned with the future meant for you. This is important. Join me and other amazing global leaders and experts to help you own your future starting May 11th. You can join right now for free at jennaschallenge.com. That's jennaschallenge.com for the five-day Own Your Future Challenge. I can't wait to see you there. Wait, we can talk about money? Whoa, 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 you have debt? Wait, you're saying it out loud? Like, are you sure? Is it okay? Hey, my name is Jenna Kutcher, and I am obsessed with all things business, marketing, numbers, and helping you to navigate both the messy and the magical seasons of this thing called life. I'm a small-town mama who took a $300 camera, grew a successful photo biz, and now I work from home and run a seven-figure online business. I teach you the tried and true secrets to building a career you adore. Shy away from the real talk? (laughs) No way. Money, hardship, growth, loss, and marketing are all topics we discuss here. Think of this as your one-stop shop for happy hour with a gal pal mixed with business school. Pull up a seat, make sure you're cozy, and get ready to be challenged and encouraged while you learn. Total financial freedom and a debt-free life was always the end goal for me. And now that I'm here, let me tell you, it feels really good. But also let me be the first to check my privilege. I know debt-free living isn't the norm, and I'm very aware that my financial situation is totally different. So here's my new goal in this area. Regardless of your financial situation right now, whatever your debt, your income, or the balance in your savings account, my goal is to bring you experts and resources to reach whatever financial freedom looks like for you. Let me introduce you to my friend Berna of Hey Berna. If you don't know her name, you'll soon be acquainted with the super smart, super funny financial hype woman who will get you thinking differently about debt and finances. I was just watching one of her hilarious YouTube videos about paying off $38,000 in student loan debts with the help of a budget journal, and she had me cackling with her celebratory twerk as she walked me through Felicia's wallet. Listen, it'll all make sense when we dive into this episode. Ready for Berna? Here we go. Thanks to LinkedIn for supporting Gold Digger. LinkedIn Jobs screens candidates with the hard and soft skills you're looking for so that you can hire the right person fast. Find the right person with LinkedIn Jobs. Get $50 off your first job post at linkedin.com slash gold digger. If you're still mailing contracts via snail mail or tracking payments with a pen and paper and managing your biz with anything other than a seamless project management system, it's time for HoneyBook. Start your free trial, plus get 50% off your annual subscription at jennacutcher.com slash HoneyBook. 
Okay, guys, I am so excited to introduce you to Berna. I secretly, well, not so secretly, told her that our team is obsessed with her. And so to have her <laughs> on the show is a true treat. So welcome to the show, Berna. Thank you so much, Jenna, for having me. I am hyped to be here. If that's not over, play it already because I am a hype woman. <laughs> well, we were all, so there was a mandatory, oh, yes, there was this mandatory assignment on my team that we all had to watch your YouTube channel, which left <sighs> us just dying with so much excitement for this show. So we'll plug all of the places at the end, but oh my gosh, your YouTube videos are life-giving. Okay, so tell me your story. Like, I want to know, like, paint the picture of how you landed right here and how you became a financial hype woman. Have you always been financially savvy? I want to know what brought you to this point. Oh, my gosh, Jenna, I could not have been further from financially savvy <laughs> when I first started this whole thing. Every time I start a workshop or a speaking engagement or a podcast, I'm like, you all should know that there's no legal reason you should listen to me financially, okay? Consider <laughs> me your financial hype woman, financial translator, financial bouncer at the door, and I am the entryway to all the good stuff. But I have no kind of financial history or background. So I started this. Basically, what got me into personal finance was sort of curiosity and broke-ass millennial 20-something-year-old desperation and Google, but also a lot of kind of anger and surprise at what I found in the personal finance industry itself. But before I started this whole kind of budgeting journey and learning a lot about personal finance, I went to school for communications. I'm the Filipino-American daughter of immigrants who both, neither of them work in finance. No one in my family works in finance. So it's very much been a DIY journey for me. I love it. Walk me through just kind of that explorative season of your life, because I was telling you, like, I feel like our generation feels like we're not being reached with this knowledge. Like anytime we drop a financial based episode, it goes crazy because there aren't really women out there that are openly and freely talking about things like debt or student loans or starting a business or bootstrapping or wealth. And so I just kind of want to know like your personal story that brought you to this place. Yes, absolutely. So my personal story that got me to being a financial hype woman is actually, it's really similar to a lot of stories of other people and other young folks around me. It's just that I took a hard turn into like a Google loophole, rabbit hole thing, <laughs> and just suddenly found myself personal finance, quote unquote, expert. So I would say, okay, the year is 2016. And I am broke as heck in New York City. I'm a freelancer. I just like booted myself out of the publishing industry because I wanted to be a magazine editor. And I was like, that's not for me. That world is so not for me. And I was freelancing and super broke. And this is, of course, like, wow, 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 world's smallest violin because everyone, me and all my friends were in New York City, like happy and super broke. And I got a job offer to move back to my home in San Francisco. And it was a full-time job. And I was like, whoa, this is, this is nuts because I haven't had, I hadn't had a full-time job at that point in a while. And I was like, a paycheck's going to come to me every other Friday, pretty much if I don't burn <laughs> the building down. That's wild. Like, I'm just going to get an IV drip of money. I was like, this is the universe being like, Berna, get your financial ish together. Because at that point I had $12,000 of credit card debt. Hey, remember what I said about not being at all financially literate? <laughs> You're coming up. And then I had $38,000 of student loans. And so once I did get into this full-time job, I was like, I'm a big girl now. I'm going to look into this ancient art of budgeting that people keep talking about that I don't understand. I started to sort of Google like how to budget. If you could imagine the meme of the cat just like banging on a keyboard. <laughs> 
That was me. I was like, budgeting what? And what is spreadsheet? And what I found there was so interesting because I mean, it was very informative. I was like, wow, I didn't know about these budgeting rules. I didn't know about these investing apps. But I also found that so much of the information was written by men, older white men. And a lot of the recommendations, people get so excited, especially dudes. Oh my God, you're getting into personal finance. You're learning how to budget. You should read this guy. You should read this person's blog. You should listen to this podcast. White dude, white dude, white dude, white dude. I was like, I'm so confused because obviously older white men are not the only people with money problems, but none of these personal finance quote unquote gurus or experts looked like me, sounded like me, talked like me. I mean, you get like three words into one of their blogs and I'm like, you already lost me. You're literally using a different (laughs) language. I don't know what you're talking about. So while I was learning about these things at the same time, there was this other track going on in my brain of just like, why is this information so inaccessible? Why did it take someone of in my position of privilege who has the free time to access the internet and look into personal finance like it was a freaking hobby, like it was like another language. Why is it? It's difficult enough for me. Imagine all the people who don't have all the privileges that I have. Like, how are we supposed to understand the basics of budgeting if it's this difficult to even get into the information space? And so that's what really got me started. It was more of like, like I said, sort of like anger, like an indignance. I'm just like, oh, hell no. Like, uh uh-uh. (laughs) The most basic thing should not be this difficult. And so I have always been a big social media just clown. I'm on it constantly and I share a lot of my life on it. And so this is just a part of my life. I was like, hey, y'all, I'm budgeting. Like I'm learning about budgeting, learning about budgeting books and podcasts. And I had also at the same time created my own budgeting system because the apps weren't working for me. And, you know, all the platforms and whatever blogs weren't working for me. So I opened this thing that I called at the time Felicia's Wallet <laughs> because by Felicia yes, was a thing at the time. Yes, yes. <laughs> Very much thing. And it's basically what it was is a Google Doc. I just opened up a Google Doc and was like, you know, like if these Excel sheets and these apps aren't working for me, you know what does work for me and always has? Words, journaling, writing about my feelings and like talking to a document as if I'm on a talk show. So I opened up a Google Doc and was just started like documenting my feelings every time I got a paycheck every two weeks. And this document got bigger and bigger and bigger. That's what I shared on the internet. I was like, what up, y'all? I'm starting to budget. It's kind of crazy, but here's what I'm doing. And the (laughs) the response from women was humongous. I mean, friends, people coming out of the woodwork, all ages, all demographics were like, wait, we can talk about money. Whoa, hold on. You have debt? Wait, you're saying it out loud? Like, are you sure? Is it okay? And just that response from the very first Instagram post about just guys, I'm budgeting casually that really told me like, oh, there's a conversation to be had here. And not only is there a conversation, but it's one that we're all stifling ourselves from because of so much shame and so much learned habits and all these things that I'm like, we need to get in this. We need to bushwhack through this craziness. Uh, I couldn't agree more with everything you just said. I've always been really open about money. And I was just with one of my college roommates this last weekend, and we were just talking and I was like dropping numbers just to help provide context. And she's like, it's so refreshing how you just talk about it. And I'm like, why is no one else doing this? Like, when I see what you do in the work you do, I'm like, thank you for saying everything that people have been thinking for decades. (laughs) Exactly. That's the wild thing is that honestly, the information that I and that other personal finance creators share, it's not entirely new information. This stuff has been around. It's just been behind this giant wall of different vocabulary, privileged backgrounds. Like there are blogs and podcasts out there that literally start like, 
okay, so you have your trust fund, right? And I'm like, oh, okay, 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 bro. <laughs> you lock, click X, minimize, get me the heck out of here. And that's what's kept us out for so long. And Jenna, there's so much actually that's, it's not just even about the information and the way that it's shared, but there are so many yeah. systemic reasons why, for example, women have been left out of the conversation about money and why people of color have been left out of the conversation about money. The more I dig into it, the more I see, and I think this is true for a lot of industries, I'm like, oh, this whole kind of we feel left out of the money conversation is not necessarily a fluke. It's not a coincidence. There's actually yes. a lot of yes. reasons why women are held back and people of color are held back. A lot of systemic and historical events that when you connect the dots, you're like, oh, that's why, for example, my parents feel a certain way about banking because something happened in the history of the Philippines mm -hmm. in terms of banking. You know, there's a reason that women in general feel so behind about money, I mean, for example, the Equal Credit Act didn't pass until 1974. And before 1974, we had to get our husbands or our fathers written permission to open a credit card. Like, but that was like two generations ago. It's nutty. Yeah. So would you be willing to talk about something that no one talks about and talk about student loan debt? Because you kind of in passing mentioned you had $38,000 of it. Oh, yeah. And casual, I'm guessing casual. that a lot of people listening have probably have some as well. So let's say you do have student loan debt. Like, where do you even start? Is there a standard repayment plan that's the best? Like, what's the best way to approach these loans? Okay. The number one thing you should do when you have student loans and you're standing in front of the idea of student loans and being like, help mom, I'm scared. The number one thing that you need to do is, <laughs> and this is surprising, a lot of folks don't have like their logins to their student loan accounts. A lot of folks are like, I don't know, man, I just get those emails from Navi and I delete them and I go like, take a shot. I don't know. You need to face the numbers is the number one thing. It's like smell your ish is what it is. Because a lot of folks are like, I'm in debt. I'm in so much debt. It's scary. If you ask them exactly how much debt, they're like, I don't know. It's just, I don't know. It's like 40 or 70K. I don't know. The fact that you don't know exactly what the number is, is making your fear so much worse. The analogy I always use is like when you are, you know, you're asleep in the middle of the night, you wake up in the middle of the night and you kind of like, you crack your eyes open and you see your like your clothes chair, you know, the chair that you put all the clothes on. Yes. And in the dark, <laughs> in the dark, you're like, okay, I know that's a chair with clothes on it. But for a second, the more you look at it, the more you're like, but it might be a monster. But that might be a murderer. <laughs> that actually might be like Cthulhu. And they're just, oh my God. It's scary. And you're like, no, no, I know it's a clothes chair. Calm down. But in the dark, it's so much scarier. So the number one thing you need to do is define exactly how much you owe to the cent that day. And sometimes that can be really difficult. It's amazing how much these student loan companies and websites make it actually pretty difficult for you to figure out what exactly it is you own and what that number breakdown is. And so if you get to that number, you see it on the website or you log in and you're like, that doesn't make a lot of sense to me. You need to take it into your power to call the student loan customer service people. I know I lost a lot of millennials already. I know we don't like to call people, but <laughs> call the customer service folks and ask them exactly what you owe and what it means. I'm always saying that like these folks work for your money, right? Like they're there to answer these questions and no question is stupid to them. No question is stupid in the money world at all when you consider how much we've been disempowered. Like, of course we don't know. So we got to ask these questions. You get on the phone with that person and you're like, what is my total balance today? How much of that is my principal balance, which is like exactly how much I actually owe and how much of that is interest, which is the fees that have sort of snowballed on top of your money because you haven't paid it all back. So you're going to want to know the breakdown of the interest and the principal and literally just write that number down 
on a post-it and look at it for a second. It's intimidating to think about, but once you actually look at that number, a lot of the times the anxiety goes away because it's not this scary, mysterious monster anymore. And it's good to just ask exactly what it is. Yeah, I love that. And I had student loans. I paid my whole way through college. My parents didn't help out at all, which we knew going into college. And it is, it's like all of a sudden, is it six months after you graduate when you start getting those yes. those things in the mail? And they're all different organizations and you don't really know mm. exactly what it is. It's exactly as you describe it. So yeah. what would you recommend in terms of repaying? So let's say somebody's listening and they're in Berna's shoes where you were when you had all that debt, what do you think is the best way to approach paying it off? Or how would you approach that once you have that number? Yep, absolutely. So I think a lot of folks listening probably are just like, I don't know, man, I just, I just pay the minimum and it goes like I just, I do it. I send the payment and I run away. The thing with paying off the minimum every month is that typically it's as small of a payment as you can afford, of course. And that payment is often only going towards your interest, which is the fees that the student loan company adds on top of what you actually owe, basically because you haven't paid off the entire thing yet. So we can go years. So this is what I did. I went like a solid four years paying off the minimum, paying off the minimum. And then I finally talked to Sally May. Shout out to you, Sally May. You taught me a lot. Actually went to Sally Main and was like, hey, how much is it that I owe? Because I'm pretty sure I took out like 36K in student loans. They're like, oh, you're at like 38 something. And I was like, what? Because this really, really kind of adds up and adds up. So when you're paying off minimum, that's kind of what happens. The idea is that you're going to want to work as hard as you can to make overpayments. Now, here's something that's really interesting that anybody during or after listening to this podcast can do. And it is mind blowing. Find yourself a free debt repayment calculator on the internet. I really like Credit Karma's debt repayment calculator, NerdWallet's debt repayment calculator. These are websites where you can plug in how much you owe, what your monthly payments have been. If you know your interest rate, put your interest rate in and it'll calculate all that and tell you exactly when your student loans will be over. Like when is the day you're supposed to be making your last payment? And it'll be really surprising to see that might be 10 years into the future. It could be like eight years into the future. And when you start to mess around with that date, you can be like, you know what, what if I want to pay my debt off in five years? You can put that into the calculator and it'll tell you how much more you need to be paying every month to get to that number. We just assume that student loans are just this like life sentence that we're going to carry around forever. But using this calculator really blew my mind because it made me understand, oh, this whole thing is sort of a numbers game. And if I wanted to pay it off like sooner, I wanted to pay it off by a certain date. The game is that you overpay and you have to overpay by a very specific amount. Those calculators will help you get to that overpayment number. Mm, what an easy step for people to feel in control and to see like even an extra hundred dollars a month can totally make a huge difference in the length that you're paying. Yes, absolutely. And actually, I want if there are any undergrads listening, this is going to sound nutty to you. But if you just pay while you're in college, if you're just paying like 10, 20, $30 a month towards your student loans now before they start running after you to repay them. Because you're likely not being charged for interest right now, you're not technically supposed to be paying it back. That money actually will count towards a lot in the long run. In your undergrad years, if you're paying off 10, 20 bucks per month towards your student loans before you even graduate, in the long run, that could shave off years, literal years of paying off at the very end. And so these smaller steps that you take really make a big difference with student loans because they're such big and long and heavy loans. So get into that debt repayment calculator and blow your own mind. I mean, it was so interesting. It's part of what got me so excited when I was paying off my student debt was to see like, 
all right, I have $38,000 in student loans. I mean, this is probably going to take me like 30 years to pay off. I started playing with a calculator and I was like, hold up. What if I wanted to get debt free in five years? Huh? I can maybe afford that number. What about three years? That's a really big number, but like maybe I could side hustle to get that number. Maybe I can ask for a raise. Maybe I can figure out things in my budget. And I'm like, actually, that number is really doable. There's a light at the end of the tunnel. That's the big sort of win there. Oh, so good. Okay, you have to talk to me. You mentioned Felicia's wallet <laughs> in passing, and Felicia is angry at you that you did not do this justice. Walk me through what <laughs> Felicia's wallet is and kind of give us some more glimpse inside of that world because it's the best. Yes, absolutely. Okay, so Felicia's wallet is my giant Google Doc that I started in 2016 when I just started journaling every time I got a paycheck. And by journaling, I wasn't like, you know, it wasn't like intensive, like looking into my soul journaling. It was just like, what up? It's your boy. I got a paycheck today. It was this much. That's kind of cool that I got that money. I think I'm going to spend it on this the next two weeks. Cool. And then the next paycheck, I was like, all right, well, I got that paycheck again, pretty much the same. How did I spend it this past week? I don't know. I think I went to Bukity Beppo like four times. We probably shouldn't do that again. Anyway, here's my thoughts for, you know, the next two weeks. And I started journaling and journaling, journaling. And I call it Felicia's wallet, of course, because by Felicia, you know, everyone was like, oh my God, by Felicia. Like, I want to see her passport. She goes everywhere. I was like, I want to see her wallet. How could she afford all that? So it was sort of a few jokes for me. <laughs> the more I started journaling though, the more I started seeing patterns, not just in my spending, but my feelings about my spending. So if I was having, I noticed like reading back into my journal, if I was having a more stressful couple of weeks, I was more likely to be like, F it and run and go out a lot or do any kind of retail therapy and to be able to see that pattern. I was like, oh, it's good to see that I, that's the way that I react in those emotional moments. Now I kind of have foresight that in the future, if I am emotional again, maybe money is not the smartest thing for me. Maybe that doesn't make sense. As I started journaling, I started sort of making observations and then giving myself like secret spending challenges. Like I was like, huh, I spent like $80 at Trader Joe's last week. What if I just, what if I spent $60? Let's just see what happens if I give myself like $60 to spend at Trader Joe's for the next two weeks. Okay. What happens if I give myself $50? I didn't realize that those little secret spending challenges I was giving myself, that's budgeting. That's literally budgeting. It's giving myself an allowance for a thing that I know that I'm spending on and then tweaking it with every paycheck to see, you know, what fits my lifestyle at the time. And it was so revealing. I think when I first posted Felicia's wallet on my Instagram, it was at like 60 pages of just like writing and writing and writing. And today I still use my same exact wow. Felicia's wallet document years later. It's at like 180 pages now because it's just like a rolling journal. Every two weeks, I'm like, what up? It's me, a boy. Here's what happened. Of course, I have a little bit more of a system, but tracking my money in a way that wasn't just Excel sheets, rectangles, apps, like hard numbers. It was also how I feel about the numbers, my observations about my feelings and how I reacted, my plans for my numbers for the next two weeks. It was an absolute game changer for me. The new year is about growth and change. In 2019, my team grew by three people. And in 2020, I have a feeling we'll be growing even more. If you're a business owner looking to grow your business, LinkedIn can help you find the right hires that can set you up for a strong year. All of my recent hires came from LinkedIn. That's where I found our podcast manager, copywriter, and integrator. LinkedIn job screens candidates with the hard and soft skills you're looking for so you can hire the right person fast. Things like collaboration, creativity, adaptability, LinkedIn looks beyond the work skills and puts your job post in front of the qualified candidates who match your business requirements 
perfectly. Whenever I'm looking to hire, I create my job posting on LinkedIn. I share it once on Instagram and Facebook. 24 hours later, the strongest candidates based on the requirements needed for the role float right up to the top and I can read more about the people behind the resumes. That's what it's about, right? Finding the right person to help you grow your dream and believe in it as much as you do. Find the right person for your business today with LinkedIn Jobs. Get the first $50 off. Just visit linkedin.com slash gold digger. That's linkedin.com slash gold digger to get $50 off your first job post. Terms and conditions apply. You might have a system. I know you can't see them, but I'm doing air quotes right now that you're telling yourself is working. But what would it look like if you could have everything in one place? I'm talking invoices, contracts, messages, questionnaires, timelines, and more. No more post office runs to get contracts out last minute. No more bank lines to deposit your client checks. Nope. All of that is inside of HoneyBook plus way more. Like, way, way more. HoneyBook is a simpler way to run your business. It's how I send invoices, collect payments, create community, craft workflows, export financials, and manage projects from end to end. Hear me when I say my system pre-HoneyBook was archaic and frankly, almost scary. I'm talking night terrors, waking up thinking I lost a contract or forgot a key date in a project timeline. If that sounds like you, HoneyBook will make you sleep like a sleep-trained baby. Start your free trial, plus get 50% off your annual subscription at jennacutcher.com slash HoneyBook. That's jennacutcher.com slash HoneyBook for 50% off your annual subscription. Oh, that's so cool. And I've never personally done a practice like that. But the more that I dig into the world of business, specifically women in business, we are often so emotional about money, whether it's learned behaviors or perceived behaviors, or even just like limiting mindsets that we place on ourselves around wealth and debt. And so I think it would be so interesting if everyone adopted that even just for a month to kind of see how your spending fluctuates, even with like your cycle. Or like, you know, there's probably so many different trends yeah, to go through each totally. month where you're like, treat yourself. I need some extra chocolate today. Or, you know, like it would just be really, really interesting to watch women do that. I think it would be really awesome. So I want to know, did you have limiting mindsets around wealth, making money, getting paid to do something you're passionate about? Like, talk me through the transition from collecting just paycheck to paycheck with a job you thought you should take to where you are today. Absolutely. So that was probably one of the most mind blowing things to learn about money is that it's not just about numbers, right? Like you said, it's incredibly emotional. And what I've learned in talking, you know, coaching people through personal finance and sharing a lot with other people on the internet is that money is so tied to the way that we've learned about money throughout our lives. Like financial trauma is just as real and just as lasting as any other kind of emotional trauma. And the things that we experience in our childhoods growing up with our families and our friends and our cultures, we carry that into our adult lives. But then we get to our adult life and we think, okay, well, money is numbers. Like money should just work, right? Budgeting should just be math and spending should just be math, but it's so tied into what you learned about money. For example, my financial baggage, and I didn't know this until I did this exercise that I I read from a book where you like write a letter to your money. Dear money, here's how I feel about you. It's like one of those letters, like, you know, is it to all the boys I've loved before kind of style of like, I'm going to write it and never send it. So I could be really honest. I wrote that letter and I was like, oh my gosh, I actually have lots of financial baggage. And mine comes a lot from, for example, I'm the child of 
Filipino immigrants, right? And so this really shows up with a lot of folks who are the children of immigrants is that your parents were likely very, very busy trying to keep everybody alive, trying to assimilate. For my family, it was, you know, trying to make sure that we're learning English without a Tagalog accent, trying to make sure that we have all the extracurriculars and checking all the boxes. And they didn't teach us any kind of financial rules, any kind of financial habits. But it was really confusing still to watch my parents. You know, we were very paycheck to paycheck family, lower middle class family. But there's also a sort of like child of immigrant and immigrant family complex that you need to be showing off the money that you don't have in order to compare to other families in your culture. And so while we were very, very frugal at home and always talking about living paycheck to paycheck, externally, you know, sometimes we'd take care of a dinner that I know we couldn't afford for the family. Or my mom would buy something or go on a trip or have us do something. I'm like, I know we can't afford this. This is really confusing. And, you know, we also used money and this is for better, for worse. We used money to sort of express our love to each other. So when you love somebody, you buy them food and you buy them tons of food and you treat someone to a lot of dinner and it's all excessive. And so growing up and living in New York City on my own, I was like, wee, money is for loving on each other. Money (laughs) is for spending, you know, like if there's anything that you're going to spend money on, it's other people. And I'm going to, I'm always going to get the drinks and I'm always going to get the food. But then I didn't learn how to use money to take care of myself and to make myself feel secure in my bills. That came very secondary to just like, oh, I'm supposed to use money to show off a little bit and also just love on other people. And so that is just like one layer of unlearning that I had to do. And there is such thing as financial therapists now these days, y'all. And it's for a very good reason because there are just layers of things that you need to uncover before you get at your basic budgeting tips. You know, like I can give all the cute budgeting and investing and money spending tips as much as I want, but the truth is that money is extremely personal when you are making that transaction. And if you haven't uncovered why you have sort of problematic or bad financial habits and what triggers it, then you're going to keep making those habits over and over, no matter what kind of advice that you get. It's, it's very deep, Jenna. It's very, very deep. Yeah. Oh, no. And I resonate with that. And I respect so much of that story because it is so learned in our perceptions as children really impact the way that we walk into our financial futures. You know, it's funny now that I'm a mom and I see my daughter who's one watching everything that we do. It just like makes you think twice about everything. And it's like, how do we want to talk about different things, including money or weight or body image or, you know, there's just all these layers. And it's so wild because I think our parents maybe believe that they were protecting us. But then at the same time, too, without having those discussions, it was all about our perceptions that we then carry forward without any of like the foresight or the background information. It's so intriguing. Yes, absolutely. That's been a journey for myself is, you know, kind of going through these like almost like stages of grief, like stages of like financial acceptance and my own baggage and what that means. You know, at first I was learning like, oh my God, look at all these tips that I never learned. How come I never learned this? Like almost angry and indignant. Like how come I never figured this stuff out? And also going to university and experiencing a lot of different levels of privilege for the first time and being like, these people, like there are kids around me who could just email and like forward their financial documents to their parents. And I'm like, your parents know email? That's crazy. Like people are like, oh, parents do my taxes. It's fine. I was like, what? In what world? Like I had to Google, had a FAFSA. Like, what are y'all talking about? You lean on your parents for this stuff. And so I sort of got into that and like angry and indignant. And then it has kind of morphed into this empathy of just like, 
our parents, a lot of the time just did what they knew how to do, you know, like they are just sort of, hopefully they were just sort of doing their best and it isn't necessarily fair to turn around with, again, all the privileges that we have access to the internet, like my handle of the English language versus my family's. It's not fair to turn around and and ask why all those things haven't come to me. I am sitting on a very different plane of privilege and access now. And so it's turned into sort of empathy and understanding. And also it's made me think, holy cow, what we know as a generation for money and the way that we pass that down is incredibly powerful. Generational wealth is the most powerful thing we could pass on to our children and our nieces and nephews and, and sort of the next generation, giving them the tools to be financially better will literally change their lives and their kids' lives and their kids' kids' lives. And so I feel like, and I feel like we are standing at a very interesting kind of in-between place, especially children of immigrants, where it's like, we have the power to really change this for every generation that comes after us. And that starts with like basic budgeting advice, but also teaching each other healthy feelings and habits around money, even though we weren't taught those habits around money. It's sort of breaking that whole, breaking that cycle for our kids. Mm. Berna, your passion just shines through. And I love that you were able to take like this subject and like take that like anger and then turn it into a purpose. And, and it's just so inspiring. I want to know because as I listen to you, I'm like, Berna, you have to answer this burning question that so many of our listeners are having. There are things that so many people listening, they are passionate about, or they're angry about, or they desire change, but they don't believe that they could possibly be the person to fill that or become the export or like share anything that is going to help anyone else. What would you say to those people? I would say that you are holding something, even if it is an expert level, you are holding relatability in your hands, no matter who you are. You are holding a story that someone probably very, very close to you wishes someone else would come out with so they could feel less alone. And you don't need expertise for that. It's your actual lived experience is a bomb to somebody else if you were just to offer it out. And that doesn't mean that you have to get on the internet and start screaming about (laughs) your debt like I did. I always say that the easiest way to literally start a financial revolution in your community is to ask a really simple money question to your best friend or to your sister or to your cousin. It could be as simple as like, hey, do you remember what you did with your first paycheck? Or, you know, like, what's the last thing that you spent on that made you happy? Just sort of those softball, like opener questions to get to the deeper thing. The deeper thing that I'm always encouraging people to share eventually is the scary stuff and the murky stuff. We don't want to share that because we feel like we're alone. I always talk about in my workshops and my speaking engagements, this thing called the hot mess shame spiral, a very scientific theory that I come up with, where basically it kind of explains why we feel so alone with money. In the very beginning of our lives, for some crazy reasons, we were all taught that it's not polite to talk about money. It's not ladylike to talk about money. It's, you know, it's weird, all kinds of strange (laughs) French words implying that it's impolite to talk about money. And so we learn to just shut up about it, but we get to adult life and we have real money problems, but because we have a learned behavior of not talking about it, we don't talk about it because we're not talking about it. No one else around us is talking about it. We think, oh, no one else is having money problems like me. I must be the stupidest one. I must be the one with the worst money problems because no one else is talking about it. And if I say something, I'm going to look the stupidest. And so you just sort of spiral down into silence when the truth is we are all sitting on money anxiety. No one in the world is exempt from money anxiety. And so if that person is listening and wondering how they can feel power around their money or feel influence 
in their money story. Any nugget of your money story is relatable to someone around you if you share it. Again, you don't need to be an expert. You just need to come at money with emotion, which is approach that we don't aren't typically learned to do. Those things are very much entrenched together. And so step into your power of the fact that you are holding a relatable nugget that is literally going to save someone's whole financial life if you just let them know that they're not alone. Oh, that is beautiful advice. And I completely 100% agree. Yeah. Okay, I want to shift gears for one second because I get this question a lot and I don't have the answer to it. And so for a lot of people that are looking at starting their own business or becoming an entrepreneur, I personally bootstrapped my whole business just through working my job and paying off my loans and everything. But do you advise that people pay off their student loan debt before diving into an entrepreneurial endeavor? Or what would you recommend if somebody's passionate about starting a business? So my goodness, my experience is that I didn't start my entrepreneurial business endeavors until I got debt free. And I will say that the reason I stepped into entrepreneurship and like the reason I had confidence to do it is because I didn't have debt. Becoming debt free just really frees up your options in that way, of course, where you get to take risks. Because of course, as you know, Jenna, starting a business is a huge risk. Any, any kind of entrepreneurial endeavor is a huge risk because you don't know what's going to come of it. And eventually you're going to have to pour money in that you're not going to see back right away. And so my experience was, it was a huge relief for me to not have debt and a reason why I got into this entrepreneurship space, because I was like, what am I going to do with my debt freedom? I'm going to try to start a business to teach other people how to get free as well. And so it was a huge comfort for me. However, that does not mean you have to wait until you are debt free to start a business. I would say though, that I would really encourage folks listening to have a debt repayment plan in place before you start a business. I would hate for people to go like, F it, I'm going to start a business. I'm going to quit my job and the bills are going to get paid somehow. And I don't know, the debt's going to be done eventually once, you know, I get Forbes 30 under 30 and I become a millionaire and it's all going to go away at once. That is not a good plan. I would say first figure out a debt repayment plan. And that's what we were just saying before of get in front of that debt repayment calculator, plug in your numbers, see when you will become debt-free or when you want to become debt-free sooner, figure out what those monthly payments need to be and your debt payoff date. Now that you know that, you have that number like, okay, well, no matter what happens in my life, I have to pay up, I have to hit this $535 student loan payment every month from now until 2025. Great. At least you know that that's a bill that will not change and you have a plan for your debt in the future. Then if you have the extra capital to be putting into starting a business, for example, putting into a sort of startup fund to buy materials for your business or to buy advertising space or anything like that, it at least does not ever dig into the bill that you already know that you have to pay off your debt. Because to hold those two burdens at the same time, oh my gosh, I'm starting a business and there's so many variables. And like, I guess I'm paying off my debt, but I don't know when that's going to be really, really stressful for you. I'm just like, please figure out what your student loan bill is and when your payoff date is so that then you don't even have to use any part of your brain to think about that anymore. You can focus entirely on the money that you need to make or raise for your business. That made perfect sense. And I think that that's empowering. Once people have a plan, I feel like then you can navigate those decisions and, and those investments and what's worthy of your money and how it's going to work. But I feel like a lot of times entrepreneurs are so creative and passionate that they forget some of those logistical sides of things that are actually really freeing and not trapping. Yes, absolutely. And actually, I have seen people sort of get the entrepreneurship bug or even the side hustle bug 
because they started to make a plan for their debt repayment. You know, so they're like, get in front of the debt calculator. They figure out, oh, okay, I actually have to pay 300, 400 more dollars towards my student loans every month in order to get debt free in three years like I wanted to. How am I going to get that 300, 400 dollars a month? I guess it's time to start that side hustle. Whatever the side hustle is going to be, it's got to earn me 300, 400 extra dollars a month so I could hit this debt repayment plan. And because you have that goal, that numeric goal, you can look at it and be like, that's the number I need to hit. There's your first sort of your profit plan right there. Just like, I need to do something that's going to get me that much money every month. And then it becomes, like you said, entrepreneurs are creative. You become creative in the ways that you can hit that number. What can I do and sell 10 of them to make $300 or sell one thing and make $300 every month? Can I do that again next month? Can I turn that into a business? And so entrepreneurship sort of is burst from the debt repayment plan, which I think is a really, really cool thing because we think of paying off debt as like, oh, the sacrifice is going to be so hard and terrible. It's going to like suck for me for the next however many years. But for a lot of folks, it's like, actually, this is going to be the thing to actually kick my butt because it's not just a matter of like, I'm going to start a business and let's see how much money it's going to make. It's like, no, I got to make $300 next month. How can I get creative and do it? How can I enjoy myself and do it? And then hit that and go further and further and be like, oh my gosh, is my side hustle funding my debt repayment plan? Yes. Living my best life. That is what I wish for everyone listening to this. Oh, that's so brilliant. And there are so many people that are side hustlers and almost say it apologetically. And I'm like, dude, I have more respect for you. You are burning the candle on both ends of the plan in mind. Like I bow down to those people because... I think side hustlers are the ones out there really making things happen and using the little resources that they have to make a giant impact, both in their personal lives, but also in the way they're showing up in the world. So if you're a side hustler out there, keep on going. That's amazing. Yes, I I bow to you for sure. And I, I hope that the energy that you get from becoming financially empowered just like fuels the fire on that side hustle. Because at the end of the day, it's like money can very much be manipulated like a game, you know, and that's obviously, it's hard to say to somebody who is in debt and you can't necessarily wave that kind of like cute budgeting facts in front of folks, you know, living under the poverty line and barely making a living wage. Like we have to be really conscious when we're talking about money, who we're talking to and how we're talking about it. My dream though, for everyone is to find the mental space to go, oh, money is a thing that come if I pull this lever in this very specific way. Money is a thing that could feel organized and empowering if I get the right information from the right people. And I understand that I have it in me to understand these things, to climb these mountains. It's now at this point, like being in personal finance for a while and having like battled my money demons for a few years. Now I'm looking at money like, all right, you were this like tricky little, like scary shadow monster. But now I just see you're like, you're my homie. Like if I come at you the right way, you know, like if, if I play the rules in in certain games in certain ways, I can gamify this for myself. I can pull certain levers to get the money that I need. And I'm, I'm just hoping that people get to that, that echelon at some point in their lives. Look at you go, Berna. Look at you go. <laughs> so where can everybody connect with you, learn about you, take advantage of your hilarious videos, but so informative information that you're putting online? Give us all the spots because I want everyone to have more Berna in their lives. Oh my goodness. I apologize to everybody for this. I am the most obnoxious on Instagram. You can find me at HeyBerna, H-E-Y-B-E-R-N-A. My gosh, my stories are just all over the place. A fun thing to look out for is that every Friday, most Fridays, I do what I call Money Moves Fridays. I ask for people's latest financial wins of the week. And I also ask for a song request and I pick a few and I dance for your money wins because 
One of the reasons I call myself a financial hype woman is because we do not celebrate each other's financial wins enough. You know, we like, especially with women, we lose our minds when like, you got engaged, you got married. But like, where's the party when you pay off your student loans? Where's the party when you made that credit card payment that week that was difficult for you to do? So every Friday we have a dance party in honor of your financial wins. So come find me on Instagram. And also on YouTube at Hey Berna. I'm on Facebook at Hey Berna, but Instagram's definitely where I live and I am the most obnoxious. Berna, thank you so much for coming on this show and for just kind of removing the curtain from something that we're all wondering, we're all thinking about, and something that frankly has a lot of control in our lives. You were the perfect guest for today's conversation. Um, hey, wasn't that refreshing? I mean, just hearing somebody openly talk about the things that we're all dealing with, the things that behind closed doors, behind the Instagram followers, behind the perfect little Facebook captions, nobody knows about because nobody's talking about it. I am so, so thankful for Berna and her expertise and her experience. And I'm even more fired up about that passion that is so palpable when she speaks. What if we could all walk around being angry and passionate and being fueled by wanting and desiring change and seeing ourselves as the ones to become the change makers? What a world, right? I hope that today you got some actionable advice, whether you're going to use a debt calculator or you're going to start keeping a diary of how money makes you feel or the stories you tell yourself around it, or maybe you're even going to write a letter to your bank account. I mean, I loved all of Berna's suggestions. I kind of want to do them all. And I just want to say thank you. Thank you for listening to this podcast week in and week out. And thank you for allowing us to share amazing, incredible, inspiring stories just like Berna's. I'd love to hear from you. Hop on over to Instagram at Gold Digger Podcast. Let us know what your favorite takeaway from this show was. And if you have a second and you haven't yet, take a minute to subscribe and leave a review. I read them every single week. Until next time, gold diggers, keep on digging your biggest goals. And thanks, Berna. I'll be over on your YouTube laughing at your amazing celebratory twerks. I'm over here giving you a virtual high five because you just finished another episode of the Gold Digger podcast. Did that go by way too fast for anyone else? If you want more, head over to golddiggerpodcast.com for show notes and all the discount codes from today's sponsors. And if you're looking for a new crew of movers and shakers like you to bounce ideas and ask questions, be sure to join my exclusive community for gold diggers on Facebook. The link's waiting for you at golddiggerpodcast.com. 